the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Everyone, welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Monday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. We're excited to be together today. Uh, how was your weekend, man? Another great weekend for you? I don't remember. Oh, you want to know what happened in my weekend? Sure. Uh, I coached my son's uh, fifth and sixth grade Park District basketball team. We went 3-0 and yesterday and won the championship. No way. Didn't get trophies, didn't get ribbons, got nothing, but we got pride. Some kid goes, afterwards, some kid goes, do we get anything for this? And the, other, the assistant coach who I coach with, he just goes, you get the satisfaction of knowing a job well done. Yeah, such, a, <laughs> such a dad statement. Such a dad statement. No, my, uh, my, really my wife had three markets this weekend for uh, Common Mission Women, which wow. is the organization she started and is blowing up. So it was I got to uh, apprentice her on one of those nights. We did a really strange market in Pilsen, and there was a flautist playing. That's awesome. So that, that was fun. <laughs> and then the other two, I got to uh, be home with the boys. Actually, yesterday, uh, Grandpa was home with the kids because I had stuff to do at church. Yes. Church happens on Sundays for it's, us. So. It's frequently. <laughs> also today, that's true. But uh, yeah, I, just a lot of a lot of family time, a lot of time with my boys. So my wife is great. Oh, that's awesome! Your yeah. wife seems to be doing those more and more and more. Yeah, well, that was this. I think the last for the season, but okay. it's you know ramping up towards Christmas. Christmas makes and, sense. Yeah, it's been it's been really cool to see though. Well, that's awesome. That's great. Well, this afternoon, here's how we want to start today. Uh, kind of some newsy stories. I've always told you, I I love to one of my uh, rhythms in the morning. I kind of get up early, hang out with the kids, and then. Uh, before I take a shower, and this is way too much information. I go and I, <laughs> I pause the Today Show in my in my room, and then I. You mean like with a like a TiVo situation? Exactly. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. And then that's what I watch. Yeah, you know, after I take a shower, I go up, and I'm part of it is I just enjoy the Today Show. But then I'm also like, all right, kind of stuff to talk about. And right. Like, sure. I want to talk about the top two stories that I saw today. Okay. Before the weather, they always start with the weather, but. They do. See, I don't watch the news. You know, I'm always like, why are they starting with the storm? There is solid data on these morning shows that when they talk about weather or weather related things like an earthquake or hurricane. Yeah. Off the charts. Uh, ratings wise compared what? to other stuff. Really? Yep. That's the thing that That's really why fires people up. Literally, there's like a minor snowstorm going on from here to the East Coast. And that was segment one. And Al Roker pointing to all this stuff. Fascinating. Yeah, I find that. So bizarre. Exactly. Because I always <laughs> like, that's a weird, like you're starting with the rain in yeah, the Midwest right. and some, fl- okay. And some hard hitting news. That's why they start that way. Huh. People love their weather. But after the weather, here was the first two. The first one was the impeachment inquiry that's going on. Or Wait, the what? The impeachment. You've heard about it? Mm-mm, no. And so it looks like the House, right? They're, they're going to move it into the Senate. And here's the one thing that stood out to me this weekend that I wonder, I just love your thoughts. Lindsey Graham, Senator 
a big Donald Trump supporter. He's kind of one of the guys, one of the Republican senators who really uh, vocally is kind of standing kind of uh, for the president and standing up. And he was quoted as saying this this weekend. He said, I'm not trying to pretend to be a fair judge here. Graham predicts Trump impeachment will die quickly in the Senate. Uh, and, and you add on top of that Mitch McConnell saying that he's working, quote, with the president or with the executive branch uh, to kind of fend this off. I, I don't know why. Nothing should surprise us with politics anymore. <laughs> Nothing should. I was really discouraged when I heard those quotes because, hmm. again, not surprised, but discouraged, regardless of what you believe about whether impeachment should happen or not. The people who literally in our Constitution serve as the jurors saying beforehand, I'm not going to be a fair juror, seemed like a really weird thing to me. And it was like another blow, like another like, oh, that's how the politics of our world are. See, I'm I'm just mostly interested in how the star of Gilmore Girls got involved in all this in the first place. You know what I mean? Is that? <laughs> oh, that's Lauren Graham. Lauren Graham. My apologies. There's oh, like four yes. people out there that go, ah, good one. <laughs> I don't even know that I desire an ah, good one for a Gilmore Girls joke. I'm a little embarrassed of myself. No, but uh, I, I'm curious why you think, um, well, no, maybe let me ask this question. Do you think the quote is actually true or is that more of a public persona they feel the need to actually perpetuate? Oh, I actually think it's 100 percent true. Really? I think that. Uh, and when I saw more of the interview, he said we, or Rand Paul also said we already know all of the facts. They're not going to bring any new evidence that wasn't in a house. And so we think this is just rigged and this is that. And you could believe that. Uh, but it's just uh, there's a reason that when we have court cases, right, the jurors, there's a jury selection and people are told, nope, you can't be a juror because you're already right. made up your mind. But right. here on this big stage, he's go. I guess it was the brazenness of it to just say, I'm not trying to pretend to be a fair juror here. Like, I'm going. I already know what I think. And everybody believes this. Everybody believed that the House was going to go one way. The Senate, like, no, in many ways, this feels like that everybody knows exactly how this is going to end. I guess just hearing it for me uh, was kind of depressing and, and kind of, uh, again, another reminder of like, oh, OK, we are a pretty segmented culture. See, and that's what's so strange to me is I can't I can't get around some sense that part of this is a persona that they're, they're feeling the need to sort of bolster. Like I've, it's like the equivalent of someone saying, I'm not even going to dignify that question with the yeah, response. That's a good point. Like you have this public need to hold this position. Yeah. So it would make sense to me, at least politically to like, Oh, see, I, we're so confident in what we already know, which I think a lot of us probably feel all the time anyway. But I don't know. There feels like there's some social political benefit for at least even stating that you're so sure your conviction that there's not even a need for any further information. Maybe that would change if there actually was, you know, information they found compelling. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. In both sides, I've been. I started out not watching this impeachment stuff very closely, but I don't know. I haven't watched any of the trials, but I've, I've I watched the Today Show and yeah, I watched right, other things. Right, and it has been really telling to watch uh, how the conversations have gone and just the maneuvering. Right, the Democrats. It seems like they're just trying to score political points, and then the Republicans on the other side are just trying to score. And it's always sure. like, how is this going to affect the election? And I guess for me, uh, again. I said this to somebody over the weekend we, we were talking and I just said, I think I'm naively optimistic hmm. and uh, there's parts of that. I like about my life and parts that I don't. <laughs> and, and I guess I, the naively optimistic side of me wants to go, okay, on something as big as impeachment, everybody has pure motives in this hmm. and we are going to try to get to the bottom when it really feels like just about nobody in that in who are making the decisions has pure motives on this. 
And I don't know. Maybe I just need to come to terms with very few people in the world have pure motives around things. So you you live in the space between like naive optimism and then total despondency. It feels <laughs> like it because I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Because you watch it and then they get on the political pundit on the show who talks about how will this affect the election? And you're like, we're talking about should we remove a president from the office? Yeah. And like this, you know, this is a huge deal for our society. And, and you want to be like. Maybe people will hopefully kind of wrestle with the politicians will be like, hey, the gravity of this means that we put our partisanship away and we deal with the facts. And even the face you're making to me right now goes, that's cute. Because <laughs> <laughs> we know it will never be that way. And there's part of me, old man on the lawn who like, maybe it was never that way. But I'm like, I wish it just was that way that sometimes we could we could put uh, things could be more important than kind of, you know, what we want to see happen. I think that has legitimately gotten worse. I think I we, we've read enough in the, the last year doing the show to see just how polarized. Polarized, I think, is the right word to use in this context. It's yep. not that we haven't always had differences of opinions in different party politics, but I think that it's the polarization. It's the echo chambers. It yes. is the confirmation bias. I think that legitimately has intensified and that it, we're seeing that played out now on a international stage. Yep. Yep. So I just wanted to start with that. Uh, because man, it does. I feel. I, some, Are we gonna do the other one? We will. We'll do. We'll we'll hold it over for next. Okay. We'll do it next. There's a second story on the uh, on the Today Show that I wanted to talk about. But I guess the takeaway for me is, man, I, I don't I don't want to lose my naive optimism. But sometimes when I watch things that I'm, I feel dumb. I <laughs> uh, don't feel dumb. You're not dumb, Brian. You watch it and you're like, oh, that's right. You're this not is the dumb. way the world works. So no. we'd love to hear some feedback from you. Uh, Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, I want to talk about the second story, and it's a really sad and difficult story uh, that I saw on the Today Show today. I want to talk about that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. As we talked about in the last segment, I started it by saying uh, sometimes I just like to watch the Today Show or read kind of the big headlines of the day. What before are the big you shower, stories? you told us. You let no, everyone. I pause it before I shower, but oh, I watch that, it oh, after I'm I shower. I'm Come sorry. on, get my rhythm here, man. <laughs> That's my brain trying to re- forget it. <laughs> I feel like my wife or someone's going to be like, hey, what you talk about on the show today? My showering habits and what I watch before and after. <laughs> I hope that becomes like the way someone describes the show to someone else. Tell me about that show. It's mostly the hosts just talking about their morning routines. <laughs> and when they do or don't shower. <laughs> if they shower, when they shower, yeah, what they watch wow, before Sign me up. Yeah. All right. Sounds Compelling amazing. Radio. There we go. Uh, and, and so last segment, if you missed it, you can hear it on the podcast. We talked about uh, just the impeachment that's going on. And more than that, uh, specifically about some of the comments about different senators saying, I can't be a fair juror in this. I'm not going to be a fair juror. Uh, but the second story that I watched was really difficult. And I want to preemptively say this is as difficult a story uh, as I've seen in a long time, uh, five days ago uh, or a couple days ago, uh, Barnard College student Tessa Majors, 18 year old freshman. Uh, she was in Morningside Park in Manhattan uh, and she was uh, she was killed. I won't get into the details, but it was, she was brutally uh, robbed and killed. And uh, and as I was listening to the story, you're just like, oh, my gosh, the family. Like, how do you even process an 18 year old? There was a huge vigil last night for her. Like you just there's this is a a very close knit college community. 
uh, in Manhattan and you're, you're just heartbroken. And then they talked about something in the story that, again, I promise you, people, not the whole show is going to be dark, but this is a dark story. Yeah. But it's something that I feel like needs to be wrestled with. Uh, she was killed, they think, by multiple people. Uh, but the two that the two suspects that have been arrested and are charged so far, one of them is 13 years old and one of them is 14 years old. Jeez. And when I read that, I literally, man, I, I'm not joking. When I was watching this and I heard them say that I, I had to sit down because I don't know, it doesn't maybe it does make it more tragic. Right. The tragedy of this story is an 18 year old girl getting killed. Yeah. But when you add on the layer of a 13-year-old and 14-year-old boy, and they think there were more also being teenagers, uh, I, I was having trouble even processing it as a dad with uh, with kids that kind of age. Right. What do we, how are we as a cult, like, how do we get to that point? What do we, what do we take away from, what do you even do with that? Because you can look it up if you want the details. I'm going to spare you the details, but it was a brutal killing. Yeah. And when you add on top of it, 13 years old and 14 years old, I was just like, I, I to be honest with you, I just don't know what to do with that. So when you hear that story, but besides the tragedy and the heartbrokenness of it, what do you what do you even grapple with in that? Well, you you had told me the story when we got into the studio, and I I hadn't seen it. Oh, okay. So I mean, cards on the table, like there's a not on my stomach even as we're doing this segment because i haven't had time even really to process Mm -hmm. it i i did just while you were talking just now google children committing crimes and there's some unbelievable stories of of absolute brutality down to the hands of 10 11 12 13 year olds there's i mean i it's a very odd disheartening heartbreaking thing to even scroll through and see some of the headlines of some of these stories of things that i'm I'm trying to even wrap my brain around why. What would even drive them to do something yep. like that? Not that it's any understandable for a 45 year old guy, but a lot. You know, a lot of times you hear these stories, and it's like, oh, this guy lost his wife in yep, a yep, yep. messy divorce, and he got fired from his job, and he's dealing with all these. You know, I know that like teens and preteens and children are dealing with their own emotional trauma and their own difficulty, and we've had you know therapists and psychologists on the show that are way smarter than both you or I that can speak to some of the the biochemical neuroscience right. of what's going on, but. Some of these stories, even that I'm scrolling through right now, like this one, they, these two kids set their friend on fire over $40. Oh, my gosh. Or, you know what I mean? Like, or yeah. this other girl stabbed a classmate because she said a demon was telling her to. Like, I look at that and think, has that always been like that? Mm. Do we just have greater access to these stories? Like, that's part of, I mean, to be really honest, in a lot of ways, the older that I get, the more I understand why my parents decided to homeschool us. Interesting. They, like, saw some of this and they're like, nope. You're, you're staying with us. Like when I was a teen, it was easy to sort of be like, oh, my parents are so overprotective and they don't try, you know, and then you read stories like this and you have kids who are this of, age. of these ages, yes. right? And thinking, how do I even possibly conceive of protecting my kids from these things? To me, some of the heartbreak is, you know, this story specifically that you brought to us um, feels really premeditated and feels mm-hmm. really intentional. And that breaks my heart that someone that young or anyone, to be honest, but someone in particular that young could have that much intent to harm. And and I don't think it's just video games. I no. don't think it's the violence in our movies. And I don't think we can blame it on absent parents or substance abuse. Like, I think those are all probably contributing factors. But this this increase in almost the pervasiveness of yep. brutal violence seems to be numbing a lot of us to its existence at all. And I think that's 
part of what makes it so scary. Yeah, you talked about the premeditatedness of it. I'm reading a CNN story. It says uh, that the the boy who talked, the 13 year old suspect, he's been talking. Uh, he said him and two friends were at Morningside Park to rob people. Like they, uh, they went, like we're going to go to the park to rob people. Gosh. Uh, and they they basically chose her. Like she was there, and they they chose her. And so I, I love what you said. There, you, we we can't blame it on video game. Like a lot of times we like to simplify these. Like violent video games, we, social media. We, we need a scapegoat. Social right? we, media, yeah, yeah. absent parents. Now all of those are part of the stew. Um, but I guess I'm wondering. Hmm. I, I want to say that there is something that can be done, but what what do you think turns the tide of this kind of thing? And, and again, there's a difference between the city and the suburbs and the country. There's all sorts of there's a lot of layers in this. Yeah. And we're just two pastors talking to a microphone. Uh, but when I read this, I'm like, what could even happen in our world where you would read less and less stories? Because you I'm looking at the same article, the same articles where you're just seeing this list of 13 year old, 14 year old. What even turns that tide, I guess, is the question I want to wrestle with. I don't even know how to wrestle with that. You know, you and I are not legislators. We're not nope. lawyers. We're not politicians. So, like, for me, I have to believe, not have to, I do believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of love and forgiveness, the Good. power, the power that, you know, a legislation, a law can't transform a human heart. Now, that's not at all to say that we don't need constant reformation and constant mm-hmm. reevaluation of laws and legislation. I think that's all definitely a part of it. And I think we need to be monitoring digital and social media use. I think all of that obviously needs to be a part of it. But ultimately, like for me, and and, and this needs to go way beyond just simply our thoughts and prayers. I do mm-hmm. believe that. Um, but you and I have committed our lives. We've traded our life for the, the ministry and preaching of the gospel. Yeah. And the gospel isn't just Hey, did you know that you get to go to heaven when you die if you pray this prayer? Like yeah. it, it invades a very dark and present reality here and now, and that world of hope, that world of love, I think is something that um, the the church needs to be conduits of, not just recipients of. And all of the legislative legislative arguments aside, I, I think being a people that take whatever they're learning on Sunday mornings to the neighborhoods and communities and schools. Yep. And I think that has to, at the, the very least be a very, very big part of what a possible solution would look like. That's I think. really good. I think for someone like me, who's got kids this age, there's a reminder. Like sometimes I look at my son who say, who's good 12 going on 13 and just think of him as a little, little boy. Right. Right. And right. Like, okay. Wait, no, there's some other factors going on that we need to think about. And I'd also encourage you out there. Uh, there are great organizations, uh, whether it be in the suburbs or whether it be in Chicago around here or nationwide that are doing work with, with at risk uh, teenagers and youth and, and trying to fight this problem. And, and if nothing else, hopefully this causes you to research some of those and support them uh, and think about that. So a, a really hard story understood, but I felt like one that we need to uh, kind of wrestle with and, uh, and be praying for at the very least be yeah. praying about this uh, and praying that God, God does a powerful work. So uh, coming up next, uh, it's Monday. We are both pastors, we, so we both preached yesterday. We are going to talk about what exactly did we preach. Coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. That 
awesome music by John Legend right there. We're grateful that he came in studio and did that for us. But. Oh, it was so kind to him. So generous. Just that John Legend, man. He really gives back to the common good. What a guy. And uh, that music uh, tells you that we are going to do a segment in which we talk about what the two of us preached yesterday. Mm-hmm. Before we do that, over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking to you a lot about an organization that we believe very strongly in called Food for the Poor. Uh, we had Todd Chapman and Paul Jacobs in a couple weeks ago. We again did a day with Todd Chapman last week. Uh, what Food for the Poor does uh, is they try to provide, they raise money to provide, to provide food for a year and water for life uh, for families that are being affected by the humanitarian crisis in Haiti. Uh, if you heard those shows, one of the most telling things for me was just how deep that humanitarian crisis is. Uh, literally people not able to find food, not able to find water, uh, and really with no hope. And so what Food for the Poor does is they go in, they partner with churches in Haiti, and uh, for really a little amount of money, they are able to provide food for a year and water for life. So how much you might be asking? Well, for $27 a month, which comes out to $320 a year, they can provide food for a year and water for life for an entire family of four. Uh, And you could do any... um, variation of that right $54 a month you could take care of two families but you might just be able to do $80 for a year what's that going to do an, a child for that's going to help a child with food for a year and water for life for an entire year uh, so we can't encourage you enough uh, to become a supporter of food for the poor you can do that by calling 855-901-4673 that's 855-901-4673 or you can go to 1160hope.com that's 1160hope.com and we had a goal i think the goal was 36 families something like that yeah and we're close and we want to finish that off this week and uh, so if you could go ahead, 855-901-4673 or 1160hope.com. I couldn't think of a better thing to do with your family this Christmas season. Well said, Brian. Thank you very much. Uh, so what did we preach? last? Yesterday, we're doing a, a Christmas series uh, entitled Responses to the King. We're talking about who, uh, looking at very specific people in the Christmas story who were the first ones to interact or meet or have their lives turned upside down by Jesus, right? So last week, we talked about Mary and Joseph. Yeah, which I, I always love that story. Like when you actually kind of hone in on who were Mary and Joseph. This week it took on the shepherds, and uh, you took like you fought them. I was ready to man, <laughs> and uh, the shepherds. Right uh, when we're in the Christmas plays, you grew up probably. You're a good CMA church. You probably grew up doing the old Christmas play. Did you guys do Christmas plays with the kids? Oh, where like some gosh. kids would dress up like the shepherds and yeah, some like the wise men. That and sounds the, like us. Yeah, yeah, we did it every year, and I always talked about it. I felt like I was always a shepherd, which meant you had to wear a bathrobe and like something on your mm-hmm. head and like a, something mm-hmm. to be like a staff. But that in reality, the shepherds were. Uh, I read one commentary that put them at the only rung lower than them in society were lepers. And so the question was, why would God do that? God doesn't do these things by accident. So why the shepherds? And we got into that about how it kind of paints a picture of who Jesus is going to interact with most in his ministry and who's going to have problems with him. uh, And then talked about what was the response of the shepherds. And they do two things really fast in Luke chapter two. One is the shepherds. Uh, they talk, they share, they can't not talk about what they've seen. Okay. Uh, and uh, these were nomadic kind of solitary guys. And instead now they're tell they're telling everybody they can tell uh, about what the angel said to them and who hmm. Jesus is and all this stuff. So they talk. And I talked about uh, how many segments have you and I done about the guilt we grew up feeling about evangelism, Yeah, but instead say evangelism is a fruit of an excitement of who God is and what he's done in our lives. And secondly, they worship. 
understanding who Jesus is causes them. It drives them to worship. And again, talked about how worship is a fruit of an understanding of the gospel hmm. and ended it by talking about the pronouncement that the angels made to the shepherd, that, that they had a message of good news uh, of great joy for all people, that that's essentially the Christmas message. Good news of great joy for all people. So I loved it. I loved looking at the various characters of Christmas and uh, hopefully our people liked it too. But if they didn't, I did. So, so be it. So <laughs> That's be the it. most pastor thing to say. If you didn't like it, I had fun. I had fun. So yeah, there you go. What about you? So we're in a series called BC, mm-hmm. which we're entitling Before Christmas, which people have emailed me and been like, you know, that's not what it stands for. Like we know we're trying to be clever, but do you anyway. ever think about emailing those people back like it doesn't? Like do you, do, oh, or, or, I think about it all the time. <laughs> do you know me? <laughs> but you don't do it. Have you done it to anybody? I plead the fifth. Anyway, <laughs> anyway so we're uh, we're talking about the prophets, right? So yep. these messengers sent uh, by God with a message from God, and uh, they're often words of comfort, but more often they're probably words of instruction and or warning. And so we were talking about Jeremiah, and appropriate for this station, we were talking about hope. So I began mm. talking about like toys we really hoped for. As a kid, like just the magic of anticipation. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. shared some pretty embarrassing things. I like, really wanted a magic set one year. I really wanted like pogs. a magic, like you want to be a magician. Oh, legitimately. I thought that's how I was going to get friends. That's awesome. It, uh, spoiler alert. It did not work. Um, <laughs> I really wanted pogs. Do you remember pogs? They're like little oh, cardboard discs. Yes, and the, I do remember them. My parents made me get Christian pogs. They were like evangelism pogs. That's a whole other <laughs> segment for another day. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so we, we introduced Jeremiah and, you know, Jeremiah one, it says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb before you were born. I set you apart and appointed mm-hmm. you as my prophet to the nations. Like that's an incredible declaration. Yes. And yet Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, right? Mm-hmm. So he's, he's witnessed to like all sorts of destruction and chaos during the time that he, he lived. And so I think it was like 627 BC. He's about 16 years old and God delivers this really incredible declaration to him talking about he's going to raise someone up, a savior from the line of David, who mm-hmm. will be our righteousness. And interspersed within this, actually, by the way, we told a two part story of a couple that uh, I had met with about a half a year ago, maybe more than that, where the husband had been uh, had been caught in an affair and there's mm-hmm. this whole other component of like devastation and the lack of hope and then we showed the second part of the story which was like them being restored and them being were they sharing this like on video did you say yeah oh, oh yeah, wow yeah, yeah. Okay. It was, uh, just absolutely remarkable so we talked a little bit about what does righteousness mean it means yeah. being totally right with god and the scandal of passages like second corinthians five twenty one: god made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of god you know kind of juxtaposing romans three ten, where it says no one's righteous not yeah. even one Jesus becomes our righteousness when we could do nothing to earn or deserve that on our own. Yep. So we talked about that being the, the anchor of our hope. And so yep. there's a couple of quotes I want to share because I think these really, really perfectly illustrate kind of the heartbeat of what we were getting at. So Henry Nouwen said, uh, I have found it very important in my own life to try and let go of my wishes and mm-hmm. instead live in hope. I'm finding that when I choose to let go of my sometimes petty and superficial wishes that uh, and trust that my life is precious and meaningful in the eyes of God, something really new, something beyond my own ex- expectations begins to happen for me. And I talked about like, yeah, what what I, I really wanted a Game Boy, but that was a wish, not a hope, right? Like <laughs> oh, okay. Romans, Romans 15 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can abound in hope. Ephesians 1, 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And then mm-hmm. Jeremiah himself, right? Many of us know this passage, for I know the plans I have for you, yes. declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope in a future. 
And I think uh, just, you know, during a season where a lot of us are struggling to find hope, yeah. um, I think Richard Rohr hits out of the park. He says, the theological virtue of hope is the patient and trustful willingness to live without closure, without resolution, and still be content and even happy because our satisfaction is now at another level and our source is beyond ourselves. Oh. So that was kind of the charge that I left everyone with. Like our circumstances may not always look the way that we want them to, yep. but in Christ we can still anchor ourselves in hope because it's beyond our circumstances or even our past yes. or even what we perceive our future might be. And so we kind of left people with this charge to to keep on swimming, right? To keep on persevering, keep on leaning in, even in the midst of, you know, heartbreak and, and uh, difficulty that all of us That's face. Solid. So yeah, it was a, it was a really, it felt like a really powerful Sunday. Yeah. That feels powerful. And the added benefit of knowing you wanted to be a magician. Yeah, really a double whammy for a lot of people. I think you'd be a good magician. That's a oh. whole segment for another day. I actually can picture you as a good magician. I don't magician. think that's a whole segment. No one, no one needs it's to a be. a partial segment for another day. Hmm. Does magic translate to radio well? I don't <laughs> do a card trick. I'll, I'll describe it. <laughs> Just pretend to be amazed. Wow, it was a seven of hearts. <laughs> we, My goodness. So I hope you... We we always joke like we I enjoy I really enjoy hearing what you preached oh, and, thanks, and going that way. I hope other people did too. Uh, hopefully you were part of a church yesterday uh, and were able to hear some good teaching. So uh, coming up next, uh, the, we're nearing the end of the year, and we want you to think about this and then stay with us as we're going to give you the answer. What was the most popular Bible verse in 2019 Ooh. on the U Version app? Coming up next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. We're going to discuss here in a second what was the most popular Bible verse of 2019 hmm. on the version app. But before we do that, I have an exclusive offer for our listeners just in time for the holidays. If you buy a set of Giza cotton sheets from my pillow, you'll get the second set free. Two for one, not only that, but you'll get free shipping. If you add anything else to your order, like my pillows, mattress toppers, towels, anything, those items will ship free as well. So, common good listeners, you can get deep discounts on all my pillow products, but you have to use the promo code WYLL. You know, my wife and I. Uh, we've gotten the sheets, the Giza sheets. We've gotten the pillows and the towels. Just You're rubbing it in, Brian. I get I it. Am. I get it. I'm, I am. You You're seem, wonderful. You seem so well rested. I rest. I, I slept on burlap last night. <laughs> burlap on a pile if of hot rocks. If they were my pillow burlap, I would say they're probably comfortable. But. <laughs> like a sackcloth and ashes situation. I would encourage you, though, to go get them. All products have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Listener Specials box, and get two sets of Giza cotton sheets for the price of one, plus free shipping on your entire order. MyPillow.com, click the Radio Specials box, enter promo code W-Y-L-L. Wow. Nope, not wow. W-Y-L-L. Oh, but on Huawei Internet, though. (laughs) No? Nope. All right. I did come across somebody who had the Huawei the other day, and I was like, whoa, at Huawei, whoa. Somebody gave me an email the other day, and they said, blah, 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 at Juno.com. I was just wondering, when's the last time you heard of Juno? What? How do you even have? I feel like you have to pay extra to have a Juno account. Would you be more surprised right now by a Juno or an AOL.com? Juno. Probably Juno as well. Yeah, I think AOL is making some kind of comeback somehow. Are they really? I don't know. Still make all the noise. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't AOL making that noise. That was your modem making that noise. 
Oh, that's right. So AOL was, oh, AOL was like the ding. You've got mail. You've got, that's exact. Wow. That was really good. That was more the movie right there than the, mm-hmm. I've never had it. Meg but. Ryan at her Meg Ryanist. It really was. <laughs> it really was. That was called, that should have been called Sleepless in Seattle on the internet. <laughs> Digital Sleepless in Seattle. Right. So uh, at ChristianHeadlines.com, they uh, Wait, wrote, don't give it away. Don't give it away yet. Okay. It was the most popular verse of 2019. I want listeners yeah. to actually think about it. Think about it for a second. What would you guess is the most popular verse of all time? If you didn't know the answer, what would you guess that it is? And so uh, what would I guess the yeah. verse is? That's a weird question, I guess, to put you on the spot. I think I would guess one of them like uh, something along the lines of God has a plan for your life. Mm. I would say something like that. What would you guess? Oh, probably Second Kings 440. Which is? Man of God, there's death in the pot. <laughs> You've used this joke before, I, I have, think. But not enough, some might say. <laughs> Man of God, there's death in the pot. <laughs> it's what I used to sign in every graduation card when I was a youth pastor. <laughs> Second Kings 440. <laughs> it's true. Just the reference, though. No one's ever called me on it. Never. <laughs> that is So you would just write the reference. Just just the reference. To see I'm like so did. proud of you. The world is your oyster. Second Kings 440. And nobody, either they looked it up and thought, did he write down the wrong verse? That or I think Pastor Ian's lost his mind. I don't know that he is conscious of what's going on right now. That's awesome. Uh, 2016, the answer to this question was Romans 8.28. Which is what, Pastor Brian? Tweet. Uh, uh, you got it. I shouldn't have. I thought it was written in there. I'm sorry. It is not. What is it again? I don't know. I'm looking it up right now. And it is a really <laughs> famous one. It is. No, it's um, we know the thing that God works all yes. the good for the right. Yes. Terribly used out of context. <laughs> well. You're not wrong. I've become softer in the Good. context usage in my later years of ministry, but you are you are right. Joshua one nine was the winner in 2017. No that way. Is. Okay, don't know what that is. That's oh. don't be fearful. I'm with you always. Oh. Yeah. Wow, we are not no, we're bad slaying this. It's Monday segment. morning. <laughs> it's Monday morning. It's Monday afternoon, Brian. A good point. Twenty eighteen. <laughs> I'm just all confused. Twenty eighteen. Isaiah forty one ten. It's written in here. I can read this one for you. Wings of Eagles. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Wow. 4110. Okay. And why is the right hand significant, Brian? Can you give us the uh, etymology, the hermeneutic on I that? Cannot. I got that one right, though. I got you, it right. That's because you read it from the page. So that gets us to this year. <laughs> this year's most famous, uh, most uh, popular Bible verse. Okay. Drum roll, please. You're the drummer. Oh, do you want me to... Here, hold on. Let me put the microphone by the counter. One second. Okay, I'm ready. All right, ready? Drum roll. And the winner of the Version app Bible verse of the year is... Philippians 4, I knew chapter it. 6. I knew it. Philippians 4, chapter 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests... To God, why do you think that? that why uh, would you think that one would come in number one? I honestly think a half of the stories that we've done over the last year have something to do with this yes. idea of anxiety and stress and feeling overwhelmed and feeling burdened. And I, I think it was interesting when I actually read that this was the verse. I was thinking about it through the lens of our churches mm-hmm. and through the lens of this show. And the thought that I initially had was, that makes sense. Yes, it does. I wasn't surprised by this at all. I actually did not realize this was a thing that Version and other companies actually did to decipher what the most popular... Like, it goes on highlights and shares and comments and a couple Correct. of other criteria. I didn't know that was a thing they could even do. 
but it legitimately for me when I read it, I was like, that, given the year that we've had, makes perfect sense to me. Were you surprised by it at all? I wasn't at no. all. Why not? not at, in fact, if you had asked me, you have to bet some of your own money on what it would be, I probably would have chosen this one. No kidding. I think you're right. I think we live in a in a day and age in which there is a lot of anxiety, there is a lot of uncertainty, and people want to be, myself included, us included, want to go, how do you deal with this stress and this anxiety? Yeah. What can I do? And so this verse is always such a good one to hold on to, right? We, it doesn't say do not be anxious about anything, period. Like, that would cause me greater anxiety. Yeah. If, if Paul's like, hey, don't be anxious. Okay, thanks, Paul. But there's yeah. a comma there, but it says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And I think you got to go to the next ones, right? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think we long for that sort of peace. We yeah. long for uh, that sort of uh, assurance that anxiety, it doesn't always win out and doesn't control us, even though it's hard and it's present. Well, and I'd be remiss not to mention that I, what I think Paul is not talking about is like clinical anxiety. That's I've, a good point. I've most certainly heard this verse used mm. as like a little bit more of a club to people that are dealing with like uh, clinical biochemical imbalances and like, hey, the word says don't be anxious, so just cut it out or mm. even worse, pray it away. I think that's really, really unhelpful. Uh, and again, you and I, we've kind of tiptoed around these kind of things a number of times where sure it's proof texted, but it is also, I think, it's a good word of encouragement so it is a both and i'm getting more to a both yeah. and place in my life where i'm like okay the one verse itself is actually really encouraging we can cling to that hope also it is worthwhile noting the context and understanding it yeah. in the greater scheme of the whole narrative also the fact that paul is writing this likely from a prison is mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. super interesting that a guy who is in a pretty anxious situation is commanding and commending the church to not be anxious i think that's pretty interesting and all this so all those layers are i think they're all important in you know learning to how to how to actually respond to this that's that's a good point and i do think uh hopefully this serves as an encouragement i also find it interesting that it's a different verse every year <laughs> like yeah that's true that no repeat winners uh if you don't know the U version app the U version app has been installed 400 million times around the world uh, and they saw a 75% increase in installs this year, primarily in India. No kidding. So I think there's some fascinating stats about the version. I'd love to talk to somebody who's deep in the version. Can you imagine that at Life Church, they're probably like, we should make an app with the Bible and this and that. Yeah. And it's like the Bible people uh, go to around the, the world. It's the authoritative one, for sure. It's thinking outside the box right there. So maybe uh, we'd love to hear your feedback if this verse surprises you, or what, what kind of verse would you put out there as the most... Uh, one that has most encouraged you this year. You can do that at Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of peaked with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no 
strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common, our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Monday evening. You can find us, continue the conversation at The Common Good Radio Show on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. Podcast us. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, as we often say here, that really helps us, and we have no idea why. Hmm, we, uh, can't, we have a little idea why. How would you explain it to somebody? If someone said, please give me all the ways that you know that helps you. It helps uh, It helps increase like the level of exposure. People are just like, okay. out searching podcasts and uh, oh. any of the stars and reviews and stuff. That also helps give kind of a nod to people in your digital social circle. Like, oh, so-and-so has been listening to this or liking that or whatever. That stuff kind of helps bump it up in the feed a little bit. See, I didn't know that. Oh, well, now you do. I thought it, it unleashed podcast like elves that came out of you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had to tell you I was just kidding. Though, yeah, because <laughs> people are like, wait a minute, they got, those guys believe in elves? <laughs> I'm off. I'm off. If that is what turned them off to the show, thanks then... for staying. <laughs> so this weekend was the Heisman Trophy uh, presentation. The Heisman Trophy is the biggest uh, Player of the Year trophy given to uh, a college football player. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the most outstanding player of college football. And LSU quarterback by the name of Joe Burrow won the Heisman Trophy, in fact, by a historic margin. He won it by a greater margin than anybody has ever won the Heisman Trophy by. He has had just an unbelievable year. Let me give you one statistic that I wasn't, I hadn't known. Yeah. But for an entire season, he is completing 78% of his passes. That's insane. That means just about for every 10 passes he throws for the season, he's completed eight of them. And if you watch our games, he's not throwing like little three yard outs. He's throwing down. It's crazy. That's unbelievable. I did not know I that. Think it's, I think it's 48 touchdowns and six interceptions. Holy like just smokes. His team's number one in the country. So right. it was a kind of a, it was a given that he was going to win the Heisman and he yeah. won. But here's a really th- cool thing about kind of uh, perseverance. He was at Ohio State and he transferred because they had another guy who was at the Heisman ceremony transfer in mm. and Joe Burrow wasn't going to be the starter. And so he transferred out kind of this long journey. Right. His odds at the beginning of this year. All right. You don't know the answer to this question. So let's get, let's try. What do you think his betting odds were? If somebody put any money on him to win the Heisman before the year started, what do you think the odds were? Uh, I'm a Christian, Brian, and I do not believe in gambling. Gamble too much. <laughs> you do? Well, daily fantasy. Come on now. So I'll tell you this story another time. But I, I was kind of joking about this. But before we were married, I said to my wife, my wife and I had the strangest conversation. We were engaged at the time. If you were going to be addicted to anything, what do you think it would be? That was the conversation? I don't understand (laughs) how we even got into this conversation. And I told her, I think it would be gambling. Albeit, I never gambled. I never this. And now anytime I bring up anything gambling related, she's like, stay away. <laughs> like she used to say, I was going to say addicted to love because I love you so much. You See, said was, gambling. 
Like probably gambling or hard drugs. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's clearly definitely heroin. What about you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just balloons of heroin for sure. You had that conversation while engaged. Yes. That is that's a bold move. No, a dumb move. I told you I got married mm. young. This is one that's of the problems true. with that. True. I do forget about that. You mean everyone doesn't get married in their thirties like me? <laughs> no, so anyway, uh his the odds of him in the preseason to win the Heisman were two hundred to one. Became the biggest oh long gosh. shot winner in the last decade to That's win the amazing. Heisman. I also saw something on Twitter where a guy put fifty bucks on him. No, no. It might have been five hundred. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm bad at math, but he won like an obscene <laughs> amount of money by putting wow. that amount of money on him. Anyway, <laughs> Burrow got up after you win the Heisman. You get up and you give a, a speech, and a lot of times. Right. It's seniors in college. It's juniors in college. Right, a lot of time right. they're awkward. His they can't was, all be Brian from. His, right? yeah. His <laughs> was fabulous. And so we're going to play just a little bit. And then I want to point out a couple things. Because this is just a college quarterback yeah. uh, giving his acceptance speech. I think we're going to do about a minute, minute 20 of this speech and then talk about it. Let's listen to Joe Burrow after he won the Heisman. Whew. Uh, no, I think the first thing I want to say is I want to thank my old line first. Sadiq, Adrian, Ed, Lloyd, D. Lou, Austin, Badara, Thad, our tight end with, with the chips for guys like Chase. Uh, those guys have been unbelievable this year, and I couldn't, couldn't have done it without them. I got... So many weapons on the outside, Terrace, Jamar, Justin. I mean, those guys have been unbelievable. Coach O, you have no idea what you mean to my family. You know, I didn't play for three years. You took a chance on me, not knowing if I could play or not. And I'm forever in your, forever grateful for you. Can you imagine a guy like Coach O giving me the keys to to his football program? He just means so much to me and my family. So there's a couple different things there. Uh, the emotion. Uh, y- you think about that. If you ever won something, you just get up there and can look back over your life. Yeah. But he could have thanked his. And he does go on to thank his parents in a beautiful way. Other stuff. Yeah. His coach there. But before that, he gets up. And, and I want to talk about leadership and mm-hmm. what this shows. Here's the quarterback. He's getting all the accolades. Right. And he gets up and starts his speech with the most forgotten people on the football field, his offensive linemen. Right. And what that must have done for them, mm. their guy, their leader going, uh, this is about you guys. You even heard it a little bit in there. Totally. There's so many leadership principles in that. Talk about that a little bit about a guy using the first minutes of the biggest speech of his life to go, hey, the guys that don't get credit, they deserve the credit for this. It actually reminds me a lot of Dave Ferguson's Hero Maker, to be honest. I think it's why that book has done so exceptionally well. It's because we all know this, right? Yeah. You know, We did a segment a couple months ago where Simon Sinek was talking about leadership. He's like, leadership is like rebrewing the coffee after it's done in the office. It's actually slowing your car down to letting the person merge. He's like, these are actually small Hmm. acts of leadership. When I hear him talk about that, that isn't something new for him. He's probably assumed a posture of leadership like that for a long time, and this is just the first time we're hearing about it because he has a microphone. Leadership 
is formed in the furnace of just the everyday, I think. And part of what Hero Makers is doing for leaders is saying, hey, you already know this, but you pastors in particular, you're inclined to make it about you, mm-hmm. to get your stage or your platform or your church or your audience bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's a, it's an impulse that a lot of us can face. And, you know, Eddie Yoon was talking a lot about how that just doesn't actually work. Yeah. It actually, and he'll probably find this, your overall team is going to do better, which makes you look better by your willingness to step aside even for a moment and give credit to the people that are often yep. overlooked. You know, I we had a, a luncheon yesterday. Where we were just sort of celebrating our security team. And our security team at the Yellow Box yeah. is incredible. Really? But they're so often overlooked. They're like, in my opinion, the unsung heroes. Mm. Like, they keep our parking lot safe. They keep our kids safe. Yep. They keep our lobby safe. And they do it without any fanfare, without any accolades. And we just got to have pizza with them and say, hey, what you guys do that's awesome. really, really matters. And we want you to know how much we appreciate it. That's really cool. And so I think that's a huge leadership principle. And then quickly, he then transitions to talk about the coach. And I, 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 if you watch the clip of this, they've got the camera just on the coach. Right. As, as Joe Burrow's crying, going, you don't know what you've meant to me right. and to my family. And I tried to project myself to be like, what must it have been like to be that coach mm. at that moment? Of course, you want to win games. You're number one in the country. This guy's gotten you here. Right. But to have this kid up there going, uh, it, this is like, mm. you've, you've changed my life must have been so unbelievable. It's not dissimilar from being a youth pastor. You and I are both youth mm-hmm. pastors, and we've now been far enough away from it. Where I'm sure you've gotten a note or a card or an yeah. email here or there from a kid that's like, hey, you probably don't remember this. But that retreat when I was 16 kind of altered the trajectory of my life where that like helped me like learn to see relationships differently or help me reconcile with my parents or whatever. Like there certainly is, it's an indescribable feeling that you, that God would in any way allow you to be a part of someone else's like healing. And I think this is why we need to do a better job. I think of supporting coaches and teachers and the people that are in the front lines of, you know, making that kind of impact. It's, it is easy to forget though, in sort of the fast paced nature of life though. And I think stories like this are, are really encouraging. Yeah. And so that's what I wanted to bring up about this is just to see him highlight the people who are unsung, but then also see him highlight the person who's kind of mentored him in this that I thought was just a powerful leadership principle. I'd encourage you to watch uh, the entire speech. It's really short, but I'd encourage you to watch Joe Burrow's Mm -hmm. Heisman speech. Because even as a college senior quarterback, I think he really can teach us some stuff there. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, on Twitter at Common Good Talk. And you can always find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Well, uh, we often say one of our favorite things to do here uh, as as our radio show is to have fascinating guests come through the studio and be able to talk. And uh, with that in mind, we're really excited to be joined by Eddie Yoon today. Eddie, thanks for being here. Thanks, Brian. And thanks again for having me. Absolutely. Why don't you just introduce yourself? Tell us, uh, introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. Um, I uh, born in Hawaii. That's uh, where nice. I grew up, and then uh, came out to Chicago for school, um, hmm. and uh, stayed. Despite uh, when I the first time I saw hail, I thought the world was ending. <laughs> <laughs> they explain snow to you in Hawaii, yes. but no one really explains what the tactile experience of hail is oh, no, coupled with daylight savings which I also thought people were lying about because we don't change <laughs> clocks in Hawaii so it was dark and it was hailing and I thought the world was ending of course. why so, wouldn't you <laughs> so me, me and a guy from Southern California hid in a doorway somewhere oh so, that's so funny uh, 
But uh, yeah, um, I uh, uh, stuck around in Chicago. Uh, my wife, I met my wife right after school. Uh, she's from here, so uh, we live here in the western suburbs. Um, we have three kids, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 11, 15, uh, 13, and 15. And uh, for work, uh, I've been a career consultant, so I do growth strategy work for historically, most of my career was like Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies. Okay. In the last three years, uh, I've been out on my own, kind of serving a wide variety of uh, companies that are high growth, uh, sometimes venture capital back, private equity backed, sometimes large companies as well. Awesome. Well, I can say with confidence, too, the first time that we hung out, like hanging out with you is like drinking jet fuel. Like I, it was very <laughs> bizarre. We, I called my wife after our conversation. I was like, I think I'm going to, I'm going to take over the world. Like let's go. It just felt like oh, we could do anything, and that it clearly is just a part of your your giftedness. Well, that I appreciate you saying that. I think the part of the job that I enjoy uh, quite a bit is always the imagining of what could be mm. for any business, and I think that creative process um, is always a. A fun thing, especially when you can dream on somebody else's behalf and mm. push them along that way. Yeah, no kidding. How do people find out about you, by the way? If they're, I want to make sure to get that in. Do you sure. Have a website um, or email? Or yeah, how to- you can find me at uh, uh, Um Eddie Wood Grow is a pun on, uh, uh, there's a saying in Hawaii, Eddie Wood Go. It's uh, based on a, a big wave surfer named Eddie Aikau. Oh. He was a um, big lifeguard, you know, champion swimmer. Uh, and then uh, back... You've seen the movie Moana? Yeah. So the first mm-hmm. time they reenacted the ancient Hawaiian celestial navigation by the stars was in the 70s with a group called the Hokulea. And he was one of the uh, inaugural members that go out as kind of wow. a lifeguard. Right? Wow. Uh, and sadly, they ran into trouble um, because there was pressure to launch. And so they went out in bad weather and the, the canoe capsized about 10 miles offshore and Gosh. went for help and never saw him again. And wow. So, um, historically, what they do uh, every year from November to February, they have a big wave surf competition at wow. Mahia Bay, North Shore of Oahu. And what they what they say is, um, uh, you know, if if the waves are thirty feet and higher, then they call the top thirty best big wave surfers in the world hmm. and say, "Drop whatever you're doing, wherever you are. It's the Eddie's on tomorrow." No kidding. So Eddie would go is the phrase, and you see it on bumper stickers and T-shirts all over Hawaii. And stuff. So a website that's, that's a pun is like my love language. Yes, so thank you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned your kids, and uh, one of the things I remember as you were coming in, we were going to talk about your daughter wrote a book called Joy. And I got to be honest, before I read your bond stuff, I just assumed your daughter was in her 20s or something like that because she wrote a book, right? Mm. A children's book. Uh, but this comes out of a, a writing your daughter did in her sixth grade class. Can you tell that story? Because that's really fascinating. So um, we're, we get an email from her sixth grade English teacher, and he's like, uh, your daughter wrote a book, by the way. Uh, it's, it, now, <laughs> oh, you it, didn't it know was, she was writing it? I didn't know. It was, it was, a, it was an assignment. Okay. Was like, okay. Hey, okay. I want you to write a children's book. And so... He's like, I, so, you know, she, she, she wrote something. I think you ought to pay attention and read it. Because, you know, sometimes we see their assignments after the fact. Yep, yep. Right, so right. I'm going to email it to you. I'm like, all right. So I, I'm reading it. And uh, the synopsis of the book is it's about a yellow balloon that comes to life and chases down this workaholic father mm. and confronts his addiction to work before oh, wow. he loses his family. Wow. And so I'm reading this. And I'm like, so the first I, I go to Audrey and I say, is, is this about me? And she's yeah. like, no, 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 it's not about me. <laughs> so I'm like sharing this with my friends and they're like, they're like, is this about you? Like, she's like, she says no. And they're like, well, what do you think she's going to say? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, I, so my conclusion is, you know, 20 years and a thousand dollars of counseling later, we'll find out if it, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but um, so she writes this and uh, I'm kind of like just still buzzing about it. And mm. it turns out 
Um, I, I knew somebody who was a children's book publisher. So I sent it to him and I was mm. like, hey, what do you think? And of course he says, is this about you? <laughs> Everybody asked the same first question. And the of second course. question that he asked was, well, is this about me? And so that, that was kind of the mm. start of like, you know, I, I, I don't know what the purpose of the book is. Um, but one thing led to another. We're like, you know, we'll, we'll get it published just for friends and family. But yeah. then as, as um, it's kind of taken on a life of its own, mm. um, I, for, my, for my day job, if I'm speaking at a conference and I have a book that I've written with the Harvard Business Review, I'll often give both books out knowing that companies and executives who are trying to grow their companies and mm. that, you know, they, 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 they kind of want me to talk about the things that can help them succeed. Yeah, and right. Everybody, you know, regardless if, you, if you're a Fortune 100 CEO or not, has this struggle if you have kids and you're a working parent and the like. Right. So I, I get both books out and then and, and same thing. They all look at me funny like this book about <laughs> 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 so, so I'm not sure what I'm doing but uh, as, as as evidenced by I think your your show The Common Good I, I suspect that it has some mm. higher purpose for the common yeah. good to get the word out there. And I, it's one of those it probably sounds the shock value of <laughs> a sixth grader wrote this Presumably about his her dad. Yeah, um, you know, always easier to hear it from somebody else's situation. Absolutely, that's really brilliant because that's what you did just now. You walked in and handed me both books, and hearing you explain it like that, like here's a, a really great book on leadership and growth and strategy. Also, read this book my kid wrote. Like that is, I think, a really. It reminds me of a story I heard Craig Groeschel give once, and when they were early in those stages of planting their church, mm-hmm. and he was tucking in his daughter. She was about four or five, and. Uh, She's tucking him in, and she said, Daddy, are you going home now? And he said, well, what are you talking about? I am home. And the girl said, oh, I thought you lived at the church. Mm. And for him, that was like a wake-up call, like, oh, my gosh, my own kid. I'm working so much. My own kid isn't even sure if I live here. What has that been like, confronting some of those things in your own life through the eyes of what your what your daughter wrote? Yeah, it's it's um, it's been a real journey of, of uh, self-reflection. Mm. Yeah. I think just like what Craig was describing. Yeah. Right? You know, like, and, and, and it, it, it's a seesaw of I'm, I'm uh, reflective and convicted to defensive. So right. the, 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 the good news that I always tell people is, um, so she wrote this uh, roughly two years ago. Hmm. Um, and then I left my job as a senior partner at a consulting firm three years prior. Hmm. And so I always have plausible deniability. It's not like <laughs> one thing led to another with it. But, um, but it is something that I, I think about, um, you know, the cost that uh, is there. And I mean, and it, the, the couple things that I've been, I, I feel like I'm on these, these uh, journeys of discovery. So mm-hmm. why do companies grow? That's kind of been the thing in my career. Um, this whole thing about confronting workaholism as an addiction mm-hmm. and idolatry yeah. and as a father, that's, that's that part of it. Mm-hmm. And then how do you reconcile the fact that, um, you know, behind uh, uh, the idea for companies to grow, and um, they're, they're kind of the double-edged sword. It's the right. same thing that drives people to create, yeah. to, to try, to aspire for great things mm-hmm. does come at a cost. Yeah, and how right. do you reconcile both things? And um, that's one of the things that I've been trying to real, really wrestle with is how do people have their cake and eat it too? And I, I feel very f- uh, fortunate and blessed that um, I love what I do. Um, I spend probably a quarter of the time that I used to work hours-wise. No kidding. I'm on my own now with it. But – but um it doesn't change the fact that uh, I think my daughter's book has raised some very fundamental questions about uh, addiction, workaholism, wow. what it means as your identity as a father, 
uh, and as a provider as well. Yeah. So yeah. All of these things, I think, are an evergreen issue for me to dig into. That's remarkable, Absolutely. Man. I think we need to keep you in another another segment here and tackle those because <laughs> like, none of us, neither of us struggle with workaholism. Right, or but for any people listening that. out there, but, you though, know, for those that who might, do struggle, right. us pastors, we never deal with that at all. So. Except for Craig. Craig, Craig. Is, <laughs> he's the exception. We all learned the lesson through him. So we're grateful. Eddie Yoon here is going to, Eddie Yoon is going to uh, continue joining us, and we're going to talk about some of those things, workaholism, but also I'm curious about about what does make companies and other things like that grow. Mm. Some of the stuff you've tackled in your life. That's what's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, I am Brian Fromm, and we are excited to continue to be joined in studio by Eddie Yoon. Eddie is the founder of uh, Eddie Would Grow, which is a think tank and advisory firm on growth strategy, but also here to talk about uh, a, a children's book his daughter uh, Audrey wrote when she was in the sixth grade, which I have a sixth grade son. I'm going to go home and lecture him about what have you accomplished in the sixth grade. That's a good takeaway, Brian. That's my yeah, takeaway. <laughs> when they ask me, what did you learn today? I learned, uh, we got to start pushing a little harder. Actually, start cranking those books out. As you talked about in the last segment, the book deals with, in a very childlike way, uh, workaholism and fathers and this and that. And, and you, in your in your profession, as you shared with us, deal with companies and what helps companies grow and all this other stuff. I'm curious, workaholism and the idol of work, as you go company to company, is this something you see getting worse? Is this something that you see growing in our culture? Oh, for sure. It's yeah. it's um, and it, what's been quite fascinating for me has been not just um, uh, the clients that I serve who are, you know, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, but their kids. And mm, the right. thing that I find is that the more accomplished um, uh, the individual is, the more that their kids are now struggling with, well, how do I live up to this? Interesting. And, and, and I think that's a real challenge that's been multifaceted in that standpoint. And, mm. um, you know, I, I think, you know, and I, I love to tell you that, hey, you know, I have all the answers for why companies grow. The, the truth of the matter is you, you <clears throat> there are some core principles that you put into place, but mm-hmm. a lot of it is serendipity, right time, mm-hmm. right place. Right. People don't really uh, <laughs> want to hear that necessarily, but... Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that um, one of the things, so I, I would say that the struggle with workaholism in idolatry continues to grow. Yeah. Um, I would say that the, um, uh, the answer is not kind of an either or zero sum. It's like, I should stop this and I should spend more time with family. I, mm. I actually think one of the things that I found is that um, uh, companies and execu- led by executives that are uh, more missionary in their focus versus mercenary tend mm. to succeed at much greater rates. Oh, interesting. And so probably the best example that I can think of is like uh, Mark Benioff, who's the CEO of Salesforce.com. And uh, the way that he describes his strategy is um, software is evil. You know, software mm. that you buy and you install on your computer and mm. it gets outdated and you have to update it and all of that. Terrible, terrible way of doing things. You should, the, the cloud and software as a service is the right answer. You subscribe and you can cancel it at any time. Right. Mm. And so, or the same way that Netflix uh, created was born out of, Hey, late fees are evil. They're, they're not good. They, they have a missionary right. focus to them and you don't have to always be, um, you know, saving the world per yeah, se, but yeah. uh, the companies that have a very clear uh vision of something is not the way that it should be. Oh, interesting. In that I have a, an idea for something greater and grander that'll benefit the consumers, 
but also the companies and everybody involved with it. Yeah. Whereas there are executives who are far more mercenary than not. It's like, hey, I, I just want the title. Yeah. I, I want oh, to right. make my numbers. I want to achieve this and that. And, you know, in their mindset, it's much more of a zero sum mm. with it. And, uh, and that, that cascades into a lot of, I think, unintended consequences of short-termism and the like. But, but those two things, I, I, you could, I've seen executives who are missionaries and mercenaries. They work the same amount of hours. But mm. uh, I, I've seen that um, at least their ability to reconcile what they're doing with their families is a little bit better understood, mm. you know? And so, you know, again, I'm not purporting that I have all the answers, right, to everything, right. but uh, certainly neglecting your family and your d- duties as a father or a parent, if you're a mercenary, very different than if you're trying to accomplish something positive for the world, because as, as my kids get older, right. that's the aspiration that I have is how do I help them become a missionary in their mindset, right. whatever they choose to do in whatever field, be it in ministry or in the business world with it. So you, you wrote a book called Super Consumers, A Simple, Speedy, and Sustainable Path to Superior Growth. And you've mentioned a couple of times you work you know, mainly with CEOs and high-level leaders, but you also are involved in church leadership as well. And one of the things, the phrase that you just said, by the way, of the something's not right with the world. I think I actually used that phrase in the sermon yesterday. No. So I'm hearing I some. Stolen it from I'm, you. <laughs> I doubt that. But I, but I, I think that there, there certainly are some similarities between church yeah. leadership and some churches are more comfortable talking about growth as an objective, mm-hmm. but ultimately we want to see people meet Jesus in a profound and powerful yeah. way. H- have you seen other correlations between your body of work and what you've seen in church world or what maybe do you think the church could learn from? Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, I see a lot of correlations actually. Yeah. It, 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 it's, you know, I, I think you think about, um, you know, God's intent for the world and Genesis and what, uh, heaven is going to be. I, I just think it's, people creating things and mm. growing things in a way that unencumbered by sin and what they're good at and yeah, passionate right. about. So I, I see them um, <clears throat> very similarly so. Mm. And the, the part that I always talk about, uh, this, this narrative of something's not right with the world um, and it could be better, is that when um, both businesses and churches have the mindset, that, that zero-sum mercenary mindset, hey, the pie is fixed, and the only way for me to get ahead is to take my slice from Brian. Yeah, and right. Most nine out of ten companies try to run their business that way, and they can succeed in the short term, but it it ends up in a zero sum. Everybody loses in the in the long run. And churches, I, I find, um, function very similarly yeah. there too. Yep. It's um, you know, well, let's all do the same thing in the yeah. same way. Uh, but I'm going to say it's mine. Mine goes to eleven, right? It's slightly better, but not uh, really in a meaningful way. Yeah. Right? <laughs> And so, um, so good. I always kind of break down the, it's a very simple kind of, um, algebraic formula for growth in any kind of situation. So if I, if I wanted to grow the bottled water business, I would say it's three variables. It's, um, how many, uh, people, okay. uh, how many consumers uh, drink bottled water? Mm. How many units per consumer do they, uh, con- use or consume? Mm. And what's the price per unit? Right. Mm. And if you can do all of three of those things, you make the pie bigger. And my research has shown that 1% of the companies that, grow the pie, capture 80% of the growth. So oh it's goodness. actually very self-serving in yeah. a very wow. generous way at the same time. I think right. that's the, the paradox of great businesses is similar to the paradox of the gospel, I think. Hmm. And I, I think churches are largely the same way. It's, you know, how do I change, um, you know, the, the number of people who come obviously is the one that people fixate on the most. And, um, you know, I always talk about that. that I call that the, uh, the hardest challenges is the green eggs and ham problem. How do you convert somebody who is hmm. adamant 
I will, I will never go to church on a plane, never on a train, right. that kind of thing. <laughs> Not interested, no Not way, interested. no how, right. And, and I think what's, what's fascinating is where I do think the church can learn from is um, you look at the video game category, has tripled the number of video gamers in the world in the last eight years, no largely. Uh, and it's not that there's three times as many teenage boys playing violent games on <laughs> right, yeah, consoles. Right. It's casual gaming. Really? Oh, wow. So all the on games that phone. people are playing on your phone, yeah. words with friends, Candy Crush, hmm. uh, these are billion-dollar businesses plus, um, driven largely by uh, women of all demographics and the like and stuff. And so, No kidding. It, yeah, and it gets back to the same question of like, well, would you would you believe that a middle aged woman would become a hardcore video gamer? You would say no, but right. then this is how you would actually do it. So it, it forces a reimagining wow. of how everything happens there. And I think this uh, the other uh, variable of how do you change the unit per person? And you know, I think the digital church is doing it that way. Churches mm-hmm. that have compressed the amount of time from it's a three hour service to a sixty minute service. Right. That's, you know, certainly one way of doing it. And if you look at what's happened with Netflix, of like you know. Is it a movie? Is it a TV show? Is it a 50-hour <laughs> yeah. movie? Yeah, right. the, you know, all of those things can be done in the church setting as well, too. Wow. Like if you could get, how many more people would you get if you had a 15-minute service that you could deliver at scale? Like that, I mean, just not saying that we should, but that's, those are the ideas that are there. Yeah. And then the other one um, I think about is the price per unit. Like, you, know, you, you think about um, the, the, the explosion of subscription businesses that have mm-hmm. emerged through. Right. You know, the people who have... Amazon Prime or Costco membership. It's yeah. like you pay money up front for the privilege of doing X, Y, and Z. With right. You. And price is the lever that I think churches are probably the worst at. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, you know, let's not talk about it. It's giving back to God. And we, we talk about our, our <laughs> right. tithing, this and that. But, you know, I, I think people are pretty clear. I would happily pay for things that I value. And the more mm. transparent you are. And if you had a church that required you to pay 99 bucks like an Amazon Prime for the year to join. I'd be curious to see what would happen. Interesting. I, you know, I'd be curious to see what would need to be true for somebody to say, oh, yeah, I, I would actually pay that amount of money up huh. front to go. And how would you reimagine the service that way? I mean, and yeah. it's, it's all a function of these three things that I think, um, you know, uh, great church planners and innovators do sometimes out of necessity uh, right. with what they have. Right. Heard, but um, I think there's a ton of parallels to learn both ways with it. So. That's so interesting. That's really fascinating. There's so many more questions I have, but thank you for the time. You've been listening to Eddie Yoon, uh, the founder of Eddie Would Grow, and uh, like a good dad is here really uh, wanting to tell us about his daughter's book. So yeah. that book is called Joy. Uh, can people get that at Amazon? Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere you can buy a book, you can find it. That's awesome. 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 So we would encourage you to do that. And also Eddie's book, Super Consumers, which I'm assuming is also at Amazon. Also, buy a father and a daughter book for Christmas. That feels Ooh, like a good move that's right smart. there. That's smart. That feels, Eddie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah, please come back, man. That was great. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Uh, that music, that sound can only mean one thing. It is the end of the show. Some interweb insanity where uh, our producers, they find the stories. We read them sight unseen. And hopefully they're funny and not inappropriate. But before we read these, Ian has something to share with us. I sure do. What if just $50 could mend the broken marriage or protect the life of a child or even lead someone to Christ? Your end of year donation to Focus on the Family could do all those things and more. Give the gift of family this Christmas, and for a limited time, your donation will be doubled by friends of the ministry. 
Double the gift means double the impact. So you can give at 1160hope.com slash family mm-hmm. or call 1-800-A-FAMILY now. What was the hmm there? You're moved by my <laughs> line. I'm a family. I just went, mm. <laughs> That's how you know you have like a habit. You're like, mm. <laughs> family. Mm. Oh, he's reading a commercial. Okay. All right. <laughs> mm. Oh, wow. It's been a long day, man. Have you ever have you ever made that noise, by the way, before someone got to like the punchline of what they're sharing? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, I do it constantly. <laughs> I let's be honest. I've probably done it a lot, and now and when you say it, I'm like, know. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go first, so Whoa, you can recover selfish. from that. Read right. Minnesota porch pirate leaves thank you note from new owner of your package. <laughs> A brush. <laughs> a brazen porch pirate left a thank you note after stealing a Christmas gift in Minnesota, even signing it from the new owner of your package, according oh to reports. Gosh, that's mean. So, just a quick little thank you for leaving me the opportunity of stealing your package. Read the note left on the shocked victim Hillary Von Smith's doorstep. Very nice of you. Thank you. Read the note left where package with gift for Smith's box should have been waiting. Oh gosh. Smith told the station that she was angry and confused and quite flabbergasted. She used that word. word in conversation. Buy the note, which on Facebook she branded a bad move. Why is the run gone? <laughs> that is not what the article said. Bad move. I saw you heading towards this swear word in the article, and I was like, okay, he doesn't see it yet. I, I would like to be on the show tomorrow, so I did some <laughs> quick editing on the fly. I would love... Can we... John, is there any way we can get like a compilation of Brian... <laughs> Like having to self-edit in the moment before saying a bad word. It's like that video game where you're driving the car and like, whoa, (laughs) gotta go over there. Or when your hammock collapses underneath you. All right, Brazil, man arrested after dressing up as his mother to take driving test for her. (laughs) Oh, the picture is so sad. A 43-year-old man has been arrested in northern Brazil for dressing up as his mom to take her driving test for her. When Hitor Chiaves, 60-year-old mother, kept failing her driving test, he decided he, uh, he would step in. Donning a floral dress, sparkling painted nails, fresh makeup, and a wig, Chiave buckled himself into the driver's seat of his mom's car. It appeared to be working before the instructor became suspicious. She noticed the woman on the ID didn't exactly bear a striking resemblance to the woman in front of her, so she raised the alarm. He tried to be as natural as possible. He wore lots of makeup with his nails nicely done and wore women's jewelry. Uh, the police were called, and he was arrested at the driving school for fraud and misuse of someone's identity. Do you go out with friends? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Aww. <laughs> it's like still weirdly kind of it a sweet story. Nice. Yeah, yeah, but illegal. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the unsweet part of the story, the non-sweet. Texas. A bank mistakenly deposits $37 million oh, into a woman's account. Uh, a Dallas woman discovered her bank account had more than $37 million <laughs> in it, but unfortunately it turned out to be a clerical error. Can you imagine? Listen to this name. Rush Balloon said she checked no, her account. That can't be real. Balance at Legacy Texas Bank and was shocked to see $37,203,337 <laughs> in account. I was like, wow, we have a lot of money. Balloon said that she told her husband about the mysterious fortune and he called the bank. Legacy Texas Bank told the couple the money was the result of a clerical error and the mistake was corrected. Money, money, money. <laughs> money! Could they have spent it? I don't... If he you, doesn't call... You go right to spend it. You have a money problem. Your wife is right to caution you against gambling. I'm just asking, could they, if they went immediately out and bought a, bought a car, would they have to return that money? Or is that, yes, is it on the bank to figure out their error? It's a great question. I'm just mostly struck by the fact that even with a $37 million error, they still have $203,000. Yes. That's a lot of money. Yeah, surprised. 
Said two pastors. Said two pastors. <laughs> yeah, right. That's true. Uh, Australia. Australia couple finds 10-foot python in Christmas tree. Ooh, with the python. No. Do you want to guess the uh, sound effect? Mm, the snake plane. It's probably snake of the plane. Yeah. yeah, maybe not. Okay, an Australian couple returned home from work and were shocked to find a 10-foot python coiled up on their Christmas tree. Leanne Chapman of Brisbane said she and her partner returned to their home in Highgate Hill area Thursday afternoon and noticed the birds on the balcony were acting unusually distressed. My partner's gone out there, was actually videoing them because they were going mad, Chapman told 7 News. He's uh, As he's turned around and stepped back, he didn't realize he was leaning on the Christmas tree with the snake wrapped around it. She oh said they were goodness. both stunned when they spotted the serpent. It was a bit of a shock to begin with, she said. You don't really expect to see a snake in your Christmas tree. Snakes. Um, Why did it have to be snakes? Well, that's not snakes. That's not a plane. No, I know, but it's the other one. Last one out of Maine. A yellow duck was heartbroken, so a teacher made the grieving bird a dating ad. Oh, okay. (laughs) There's no Tinder for waterfowl, but that didn't stop a Maine bird owner from trying to find a match for a morning duckling. One of Chris Morris's ducks, Yellow Duck, lost its mate to a oh no to a hungry bobcat oh a boy. couple of weeks ago in Morris's yard. Morris, a 31-year-old special education teacher, drew up a singles ad for Yellow Duck and placed it on a community bulletin board. The ad declares uh, a duck seeking duck. Lonesome runner duck seeks companion partner recently deceased. It also includes an email address dedicated to the dating search and states serious replies only. What a revolting development this is. <laughs> what a strange story. I think just hearing you read Duck Seeking Duck. Again, could have gone poorly. That's true. Lonesome Runner Duck <laughs> Seeks Companion is like, that's where I want my ringer to be on my phone, <laughs> right is there. you reading that. Oh, uh, well, the insanity has begun for the week. We are glad that you joined us today. Join us tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life.